Chapter Twenty Five, Part Two of Elsie Venner. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. Elsie Venner by Oliver Wendell Holmes. Chapter Twenty Five: The Perilous Hour. Mr. Bernard stayed in his room a short time before setting out for his evening walk. His eye fell upon the Bible his mother had given him when he left home, and he opened it in the New Testament at a venture. It happened that the first words he read were these, Lest, coming suddenly, he find you sleeping. In the state of mind in which he was at the moment, the text startled him. It was like a supernatural warning he was not going to expose himself to any particular danger this evening a walk in a quiet village was as free from risk as helen darley or his own mother could ask yet he had an uncomfortable feeling of apprehension without any definite object at this moment he remembered the old doctor's counsel which he had sometimes neglected and blushing at the feeling which led him to do it he took the pistol his suspicious old friend had forced upon him which he had put away loaded and thrusting it into his pocket set out upon his walk the moon was shining at intervals for the night was partially clouded there seemed to be nobody stirring though his attention was unusually awake and he could hear the whirr of the bats overhead and the pulsating croak of the frogs in the distant pools and marshes presently he detected the sound of hoofs at some distance and looking forward saw a horseman coming in his direction the moon was under a cloud at the moment and he could only observe that the horse and his rider looked like a single dark object and that they were moving along at an easy pace mr bernard was really ashamed of himself when he found his hand on the butt of his pistol when the horseman was within a hundred and fifty yards of him the moon shone out suddenly and revealed each of them to the other the rider paused for a moment as if carefully surveying the pedestrian then suddenly put his horse to the full gallop and dashed towards him rising at the same instant in his stirrups and swinging something round his head what mr bernard could not make out it was a strange manoeuvre so strange and threatening in aspect that the young man forgot his nervousness in an instant cocked his pistol and waited to see what mischief all this meant he did not wait long as the rider came rushing towards him he made a rapid motion and something leaped five and twenty feet through the air in mr bernard's direction in an instant he felt a ring as of a rope or thong settle upon his shoulders there was no time to think he would be lost in another second he raised his pistol and fired not at the rider but at the horse his aim was true the mustang gave one bound and fell lifeless shot through the head the lasso was fastened to his saddle and his last bound threw mr bernard violently to the earth where he lay motionless as if stunned in the meantime dick venner who had been dashed down with his horse was trying to extricate himself 
one of his legs being held fast under the animal the long spur on his boot having caught in the saddle-cloth he found however that he could do nothing with his right arm his shoulder having been in some way injured in his fall but his southern blood was up and as he saw mr bernard move as if he were coming to his senses he struggled violently to free himself i'll have the dog yet he said only let me get at him with the knife he had just succeeded in extricating his imprisoned leg and was ready to spring to his feet when he was caught firmly by the throat and looking up saw a clumsy barbed weapon commonly known as a hay-fork within an inch of his breast hold on there what in thunder are ye about ye darned portugee said a voice with a decided nasal tone in it but sharp and resolute dick looked from the weapon to the person who held it and saw a sturdy plain man standing over him with his teeth clenched and his aspect that of one already for mischief lay still now said abel stebbins the doctor's man if ye don't i'll stick ye as sure as you're alive i been after ye for a week and i got ye now i knowed i'd kitch you at some damn trick or nother for i'd done with thee dick lay perfectly still feeling that he was crippled and helpless thinking all the time with the yankee half of his mind what to do about it he saw mr bernard lift his head and look round him he would get his senses again in a few minutes very probably and then he mr richard venner would be done for let me up let me up he cried in a low hurried voice i'll give you a hundred dollars in gold to let me go the man ain't hurt don't you see him stirring he'll come to himself in two minutes let me up i'll give you a hundred and fifty dollars in gold now here on the spot and the watch out of my pocket take it yourself with your own hands i'll see ye damned first catch me lettin go was abel's emphatic answer you lay still and wait till that man comes too he kept the hay-fork ready for action at the slightest sign of resistance mr bernard in the meantime had been getting first his senses and then some few of his scattered wits a little together what is it he said who's hurt what happened come along here as quick as you can abel answered and help me fix this fella ye been hurt yourself and there's murder come purty nigh happenin mr bernard heard the answer but presently stared about and asked again who's hurt what's happened you're hurt yourself i tell ye said abel and there has been a murder pretty nigh mr bernard felt something about his neck and putting his hands up found the loop of the lasso which he loosened but did not think to slip over his head in the confusion of his perceptions and thoughts it was a wonder that it had not choked him but he had fallen forward so as to slacken it by this time he was getting some notion of what he was about and presently began looking round for his pistol which had fallen he found it lying near him cocked it mechanically somewhat unsteadily towards the two men who were keeping their position as still as if they were performing in a tableau quick now said abel who had heard the click of cocking the pistol and saw that he held it in his hand as he came towards him 
Give me that pistol, and you fetch that air rope layin' there. I'll have this here fella fixed in less'n two minutes. Mr. Bernard did as Abel said, stupidly and mechanically, for he was but half right as yet. Abel pointed the pistol at Dick's head. Now hold up your hands, you fella, he said, and keep em up while this man puts the rope round your wrists. Dick felt himself helpless, and rather than have his disabled arm roughly dealt with, held up his hands. Mr. Bernard did as Abel said. He was in a purely passive state, and obeyed orders like a child. Abel then secured the rope in a most thorough and satisfactory complication of twists and knots. "'Now get up, will ye?' he said, and the unfortunate Dick rose to his feet. "'Who's hurt? What's happened?' asked poor Mr. Bernard again, his memory having been completely jarred out of him for the time. "'Come, look here now, you. Don't stand asking questions over and over. It beats all. Han't I told you a dozen times?' As Abel spoke, he turned and looked at Mr. Bernard. "'Hello! What in thunders? That air round your neck! Catch ye with a slipper-noose, eh? Well, if that ain't the crowner!' Hold on a minute, Cap'n, and I'll show you what that air halter's good for. Abel slipped the noose over Mr. Bernard's head and put it round the neck of the miserable Dick Venner, who made no sign of resistance. Whether on account of the pain he was in, or from mere helplessness, or because he was waiting for some unguarded moment to escape, since resistance seemed of no use. I'm going to carry you home, said Abel. To the old doctor. He got a great curiosity to see ya. Just step along now, off that way, will ya? And I'll haul on the bridle, for fear ye she'd run away. He took hold of the leather thong, but found that it was fastened at the other end to the saddle. This was too much for Abel. Well, now you be a pretty chap to have around a fella's neck in a slipper noose at one end of a halter, and a horse on the full spring at the other end? He looked at him from head to foot as a naturalist inspects a new specimen. His clothes had suffered in his fall, especially on the leg which had been caught under the horse. Hello, look a there now. What's that air stickin' out of your boot? It was nothing but the handle of an ugly knife, which Abel instantly relieved him of. The party now took up the line of march for old Dr. Kittredge's house, Abel carrying the pistol and knife, and Mr. Bernard walking in silence, still half-stunned, holding the hay-fork, which Abel had thrust into his hand. It was all a dream to him, as yet. He remembered the horseman riding at him and his firing the pistol. But whether he was alive, and these walls around him belonged to the village of Rockland, or whether he had passed the dark river and was in the suburb of the New Jerusalem, he could not as yet have told. They were in the street where the doctor's house was situated. "'I guess I'll fire off one of these here barrels,' said Abel. He fired. Presently there was a noise of opening windows, and the nocturnal headdresses of Rockland flowered out of them like so many developments of the night-blooming Sirius. White cotton caps and red bandana handkerchiefs were the prevailing form of efflorescence. The main point was that the village was waked up. 
The old doctor always waked easily from long habit, and was the first among those who looked out to see what had happened. "'Why, Abel,' he called out, "'what have you got there? And what's all this noise about?' "'We've catched the Portuguese,' Abel answered, as laconically as the hero of Lake Erie in his famous dispatch. "'Go in there, you fella!' The prisoner was marched into the house, and the doctor, who had bewitched his clothes upon him in a way that would have been miraculous in anybody but a physician, was down in a presentable form, as soon as if it had been a child in a fit that he was sent for. "'Richard Venner!' the doctor exclaimed. "'What is the meaning of all this? Mr. Langdon, has anything happened to you?' Mr. Bernard put his hand to his head. "'My mind is confused,' he said. "'I've had a fall. "'Oh, yes, wait a minute, and it will all come back to me.' "'Sit down, sit down,' the doctor said. "'Abel will tell me about it. "'Slight concussion of the brain. "'Can't remember very well for an hour or two. "'Will come right by tomorrow.' "'Been stunned,' Abel said. "'He can't tell nothing.' "'Abel then proceeded to give a Napoleonic bulletin "'of the recent combat.' of cavalry and infantry and its results none slain one captured the doctor looked at the prisoner through his spectacles what's the matter with your shoulder venner dick answered sullenly that he didn't know fell on it when his horse came down the doctor examined it as carefully as he could through his clothes out of joint untie his hands abe by this time a small alarm had spread among the neighbors, and there was a circle around Dick, who glared about on the assembled honest people like a hawk with a broken wing. When the doctor said, untie his hands, the circle widened perceptibly. Isn't it a little rash to give him the use of his hands? I see there's females and children standin' near. This was the remark of our dear old friend Deacon Soper, who retired from the front row as he spoke, behind a respectable-looking but somewhat hastily dressed person of the defenseless sex, the female help of a neighboring household, accompanied by a boy whose unsmoothed shock of hair looked like a last year's crow's nest. But Abel untied his hands in spite of the deacon's considerate remonstrance now said the doctor the first thing is to put the joint back stop said deacon soper stop a minute don't you think it will be safer for the women folks just to wait till morning afore you put that joint into the socket colonel sprowl who had been called by a special messenger spoke up at this moment let the women folks and the deacons go home if they're scared and put the fellow's joint in as quick as you like i'll risk him join in or out i want one of you to go straight down to dudley venner's with a message the doctor said i will have the young man's shoulder in quick enough don't send that message said dick in a hoarse voice do what you like with my arm but don't send that message let me go i can walk and i'll be off from this place there's nobody hurt but myself damn the shoulder let me go you shall never hear of me again Mr. Bernard came forward. "'My friends,' he said, "'I am not injured, seriously, at least. Nobody need complain against this man if I don't. The doctor will treat him like a human being, at any rate, and then, if he will go, let him. There are too many witnesses against him here for him to want to stay.' 
The doctor, in the meantime, without saying a word to all this, had got a towel round the shoulder and chest and another round the arm, and had the bone replaced in a very few minutes. "'Abel, put Cassia into the new chase,' he said quietly. "'My friends and neighbors, leave this young man to me.' "'Colonel Sproul, you're a justice of the peace,' said Deacon Soper, "'and you know what the law says in cases like this. "'It ain't so clear that it won't have to come afore the grand jury, "'whether we will or no.' "'I guess we'll set that joint tomorrow morning,' said Colonel Sproul, "'which made a laugh at the deacon's expense, "'and virtually settled the question.' now trust this young man in my care said the old doctor and go home and finish your naps i knew him when he was a boy and i'll answer for it he won't trouble you any more the dudley blood makes folks proud i can tell you whatever else they are the good people so respected and believed in the doctor that they left the prisoner with him presently cassia the fast morgan mare came up to the front door with the wheels of the new light chaise flashing behind her in the moonlight the doctor drove dick forty miles at a stretch that night out of the limits of the state do you want money he said before he left him dick told him the secret of his golden belt where shall i send your trunk after you from your uncle's dick gave him a direction to a seaport town to which he himself was going to take passage for a port in south america good-bye richard said the doctor try to learn something from tonight's lesson the southern impulses in dick's wild blood overcame him and he kissed the old doctor on both cheeks crying as only the children of the sun can cry after the first hours in the dewy morning of life so dick venner disappears from this story an hour after dawn cassia pointed her fine ears homeward and struck into her square honest trot as if she had not been doing anything more than her duty during her four hours stretch of the last night abel was not in the habit of questioning the doctor's decisions it's all right he said to mr bernard the fella is squire venner's relation anyhow don't you want to wait here just a little while till i come back there's a considerable nice saddle and bridle on a dead hoss that's lying down there in the road and i guess there ain't no use in lettin on em spite so i'll just step and fetch em along i kind o calculate i won't pay to take the creature's shoes and hide off to-night and there won't be much iron on that hoss's huffs an hour after daylight i'll bet ye a quarter i'll walk along with you said mr bernard i feel as if i could get along well enough now so they set off together there was a little crowd round the dead mustang already principally consisting of neighbors who had adjourned from the doctor's house to see the scene of the late adventure in addition to these however the assembly was honored by the presence of mr principal silas peckham who had been called from his slumbers by a message that master langdon was shot through the head by a highway robber but had learned the true version of the story by this time his voice was at that moment heard above the rest sharp but thin like a bad cider vinegar i take charge of that property i say master langdon's acting under my orders and i claim that hoss and all that's on him hiram just slip off that saddle and bridle and carry em up to the institute and bring down a pair of pinchers and a file 
and stop fetch a pair of shears too there's hoss hair enough in that mane and tail to stuff a bolster with you let that hoss alone spoke up colonel sprell when a fellow goes out huntin' and shoots a squirrel do you think he's going to let another fella pick him up and carry him off not if he's got a double-barrel gun and the other barrel hadn't been fired off yet i should like to see the man that'll take that saddle and bridle except the one that has a fair right to the whole concern hiram was from one of the lean streaks in new hampshire and not being overfed in mr silas peckham's kitchen was somewhat wanting in stamina as well as in stomach for so doubtful an enterprise as undertaking to carry out his employer's orders in the face of the colonel's defiance just then mr bernard and abel came up together here they be said the colonel stand back gentlemen mr bernard who was pale and still a little confused but gradually becoming more like himself stood and looked in silence for a moment all his thoughts seemed to be clearing themselves in this interval he took in the whole series of incidents his own frightful risk the strange instinctive nay providential impulse which had led him so suddenly to do the one only thing which could possibly have saved him the sudden appearance of the doctor's man but for which he might yet have been lost and the discomfiture and capture of his dangerous enemy it was all past now and a feeling of pity rose in mr bernard's heart he loved that horse no doubt he said and no wonder a beautiful wild-looking creature take off those things that are on him abel and have them carried to mr dudley venner's if he does not want them you may keep them yourself for all that i have to say one thing more i hope nobody will lift his hand against this noble creature to mutilate him in any way after you have taken off the saddle and bridle abel bury him just as he is under that old beech tree will be a good place you'll see to it won't you abel abel nodded assent and mr bernard returned to the institute threw himself in his clothes on the bed and slept like one who is heavy with wine following mr bernard's wishes abel at once took off the high-peaked saddle and the richly ornamented bridle from the mustang then with the aid of two or three others he removed him to the place indicated spades and shovels were soon procured and before the moon had set the wild horse of the pampas was at rest under the turf at the wayside in the far village among the hills of new england End of chapter 25